So uh, you, you just walked into the studio and you've got this beautiful bag of locally roasted coffee and yeah. I've got my locally roasted coffee and you've got your handmade locally uh, like artisan mug. Bass ceramics. What's in it? <laughs> I, was, I was running behind. It might be a Nespresso from a machine. <laughs> Scott Wayne supporting small business one cup of Nespresso hey, at a time. Those execs at Nestle in Switzerland need it. I'm Scott Wayne. And I'm Ace Colwood. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. We are in a heated studio. We are. We are in the studio. Um, undisclosed studios, but I have a, you have rearranged things, mm -hmm. and my side yeah. of this podcast studio is blank uh, mm -hmm. sound reflectors, yeah. and yours has this lovely bookshelf with a statue of Mozart and various academic books behind you. My official response is, I think your face carries the picture, and you don't need a backdrop, Scott. All right, let's come to Sponsor of the Week. Sponsor of the week is Bear Swamp Coffee Roasters. Uh, not local to us, but handmade in South Carolina. Um, so uh, one of the folks that we got to hang out with last week, um, Diane brought Bear Swamp Coffee Roasters. It's a roastery that her and her husband started because they love coffee. And as she pulled the bag of coffee out of her, she like sent me a message ahead of hand and mm -hmm. said, do we want... Um, do we want roasted, or excuse me, ground or whole bean? Mm -hmm. And I don't make coffee. Somebody makes coffee for me generally, so I wasn't sure what the answer is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then she pulls this like this bag of a couple bags of coffee out of the back of her trunk, and the thing she says is, "My car smells amazing right now." And she was right. Perry and I got to drive home with the uh, with the coffee. Uh, and all of my clothes in my suitcase smelled like coffee. So for the rest of the week, we'll be drinking Costa Rican yellow diamond honey. Costa Rican yellow diamond honey. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Diane. To the zeitgeist. Um, did you see that uh, the FCC banned AI robocalls? Like, that's... That's a thing that we have to do now. Federal Communications Commission um, ruled that robocalls that use voice clones or voices created by AI are illegal. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. talk more week, more more next week about generative but, AI and I, I, the the yeah. so the the first view of um, uh, OpenAI's video tool is mind blowing. They haven't released it yet, but the previews are just staggering. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, Perry, is this what you were talking about the other day? Yeah, that's it. Sora. It's yeah, called Perry Sora. Perry was very excited. Yeah. So it's OpenAI's video. It's lines of text, very minimal lines of text that generate super realistic, high-quality okay. video. Everything from uh, mammoths walking through snow to city street scenes. In uh, You can look at it on OpenAI's website. But uh, the, the ramifications for news, video, reality, fact mm -hmm. continue. Also... Probably a bad time to be in the video industry or the gaming industry. Actually, uh, it's gonna—it's really gonna differentiate between those who who have truly creative skills versus those who just have technical skills, because the technical skills are going to be displaced mm -hmm. in filmmaking in the same way that they have with, say, portrait photography. So the good news for us is that our our media stuff has always been based upon creativity <laughs> and, and absolute absence of technical skills. So we're solid. <laughs> oh, we're so we're so good. <laughs> We are safe. 
Uh-huh. I was I was using that gimbal last week, and I looked like I I, I had a drone out of control <laughs> in my hands. I was trying to control it. I, I think we're on this pendulum swing, though. Like we're swinging hard toward. Oh my gosh, look at what you can do with AI. And I think we will recalibrate back to appreciating and understanding where technical expertise outpaces the technology. So I th- I think there's a parallel with the locally made movement around food. Mm-hmm. Is that you can taste the difference between locally roasted and ground coffee for in the main versus the the commercial variant. I think you can already tell it with AI writing. I feel I can spot an AI generated script from a mile away. There is a there's a steady cadence to it. There's and yes, of course, if you push AI to the limit, mm. if you really push it, but most people aren't doing that. They're taking mm-hmm. the first version of it. It's just like a Google search. Nobody goes to page three. Yeah. So and if you're pushing if you're pushing the chat bot so hard, you might as well just write the bloody article. <laughs> so uh, uh, let me ask let me ask a question from an economic standpoint. Does the cost or the price that a, a copywriter charges does it raise because the value of their work in the face of AI is more more costly, or does it lower because there are fewer copywriters who are gainfully employed and they're willing to take a lower price for their work? I think both happens. I think okay. what we see is a segmentation of the market that we've seen so in the lots best of places of the best. before. The very best charge even more because, of course, the best copywriters edit and cut. Mm-hmm. They don't add. And what AI is very good for is just adding, adding, yeah. adding, adding. Yeah. So if you think about when when we ask Scotty to come in and clean up our work or on some of the things that Sandra works on with us, they're constantly slashing, yeah. taking stuff away. Yep, don't right? I'll give Vera don't the first that. draft. The first thing she does is reduce it. Yep. And I'm not sure yet AI is great at that. I think the other thing that oftentimes we... For our work, we consciously break the rules of grammar because mm-hmm. we're trying to get a particular message over. And so the standardization doesn't help with any of that. So, But then on the lower end, I think those people who've just been you know, sitting in a marketing department and drafting you know, copy for websites and stuff, those, those days are long gone. The biggest risk right now, I feel, around AI is the ease at which um, one can take work from a, uh, a, a corporate platform and dump it onto an AI platform to have your work done for you, particularly in a world of remote work, the security risks around, I mean, we've read about some of the headline cases, but the amount of data that's just being cut and pasted and dragged over there, and there's not a great deal you can do because, so let's say you're on a screen, you just use a scanning function on your personal phone to scan the screen, turn it into text and load it on there. So the the data security piece, I think, is a wide case. There's a case to be made. The Bain has done really well with this. They created an internal LLM, Mm -hmm. large language model. And so if you're a Bain consultant and you're trying to fast track the report, you've got the data from your client engagement. You put it into an internal system. It generates a report based on the language and the positioning that previous consultants at Bain had used. And they've been around since what, early 70s? And so it, there, this is a case for you either shut it all the way down so there are yeah. no data breaches, yeah, yeah. or you lean all the way into it and make a platform where the data security is already designed for. I, and I think I it has to be things. the latter, right? And this is, yeah. this is why Microsoft's investment makes sense because they can put it within their portfolio that already exists. Mm-hmm. You know, resisting it is, is almost like those companies that wouldn't allow you to stream video from your desk, from your work computer. Like, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Two years later, the <sighs> said enough. All right, oh, we'll keep we'll keep cruising. <laughs> so, um, 
I was going to cut this. From... I feel like this whole podcast studio has like a matrix like wall of confidentiality agreements and NDAs <laughs> where we'll be heading down a path and I go, oh, we know more about this than we should know about this. <laughs> it's just a red light hits on the, <laughs> the camera. Hey, shut up, Scott. Oh, that's what that red light is that's, on the camera. Yeah, it's the not actually light. a record light. No. It's like, ah, no. no. Hey, you two yeah. are idiots. It's the Stop Stinson talking. light. Stop talking, yep. Um, so I was going to cut this part from the zeitgeist, but uh, she's already been cut enough um, through the awards cycle. So uh, we're still going to talk about Beyonce today. She has a new single out um, called Texas Hold'em. It's a single now on the country charts. And so on the heels of like our black people out in country, as we talked about the Chasey Chapman, Chapman thing, um, Beyonce's from Texas and... What I find really interesting in the, like, the Taylor Swift-Beyonce conversation is that Beyonce jumps between genres regularly. Uh, Taylor Swift does as well. But Beyonce, I feel like, regular gets relegated to the like, hip-hop, pop R&B category, whereas like, she is incredibly, incredibly diverse in what she puts out. Um, and so uh, there's a line from the song that I think is really poignant, and I want to read this. Uh, it's a real-life boogie and a real-life hoedown. Don't be a bitch. Come take it to the floor now. Beyonce Knowles. I'm not sure I got anything to add. I don't, she's incredible. I'm not quite with you that people don't recognize her genre switches. I think she's almost... She's as appreciated, almost, mm. as Taylor Swift possibly less talked about mm. in the flagship media but i'm I, her numbers are they're they're close she's incredible she's i incredible. i agree and i, I love the idea of the texan of... like bringing texas back like yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah it's just yeah. big it's and great audacious. and and you know in response to uh, this had to have been done before right but but we talked about the grammys a couple of weeks ago so you have that um we talked about uh fast car and mm. the role of um of country in that and then she didn't win any awards and then she comes out with it it's just kind of magic it's great all right i like it um question hey we're looking at, we're constantly talking about women billion dollar revenue performers i'm good with that i i love it i think we've got another one later in the lineup today um a question for you yeah do we have the capacity to care about everything no i i I I continually find myself in this this seemingly binary conversation around world events, real things happening to real people in our backyard as well as across the the globe. Um, and there's this: if you don't care about this this particular thing, you're a terrible person. And uh, it's often centered around human life. And uh, you've made you've made a really good point in the past. If you actually care about optimizing or maximizing the amount of lives we share you'd invest in malaria mm -hmm. and yeah. like that would be where one yeah if you believe money. all lives are equal mm -hmm. and you want to save as many lives as possible you just work on malaria that's all you donate to you don't don't do homelessness don't do pediatric surgeries don't do yeah and that and that's like the economist check for sure. whether we really believe that statement or not because yeah. our actions our dollars tend to indicate uh belief systems a little more accurately. So, so I, I think this assumption of globalization, like we exist in a global society, while I think nationalism is maybe pulling back from that a little bit, we're still there. 
how do we triage and how do we prioritize what we care about? Uh, and especially, I think, as we're having the conversation of uh, don't look away from the thing that's happening. Uh, Palestine is an excellent example. That's kind of the narrative. Black Lives Matter was a very similar narrative. Don't look away. But also, don't get desensitized. And those just live in tension mm -hmm. with each other. If you don't look away, you will inevitably become desensitized because that's how humans are wired. And so, like, what's the balance of looking at like this horrific image of war and then scrolling and ending up on uh, Beyonce, Beyonce's Instagram and then scrolling again in like horrible image of war? And it just feels it feels comical to have that just wild vacillation between this and that and don't look back and like how long do I count three Mississippi to look at the like horrible image of war before I go back to the next thing in my feed which is Beyonce's Instagram. It, it just feels nonsensical right now and I think we're all trying to make sense of what's too much but what's enough and how do we not become desensitized while still being very attentive and acknowledging that horrible things are happening and uh, we don't have the capacity to care about everything. How do we triage is my question. So maybe there's a, let's go to tool for tools. Okay, so the inspired tool for tools from that last conversation about can we care about everything Yeah. is let, let's just custom make mm. the tool of that lives on the island of I don't give a shit. Mm. And so, but I mean this very This seriously. is a phrase from the UK. The, like this you is, use this, this, right? This is a UK phrase. Okay. Um, Actually, I think I, I learned it from a from a South London friend of mine, Darren Schindler. If you listen to me, I think I picked this up from you. Um, so, so the idea of this is that if you're going to focus and be really good at a few things, yeah. there have to be things and people's opinions that you don't care about, and a form of compartmentalization is to say that that issue or this the opinions of these people, not the people themselves, but the opinions of these people, live on the island of I don't give a shit. Mm. And therefore, it frees up that mental and emotional capacity to work on those things. There's plenty of studies to show we only have so much mental and, and emotional capacity. As it comes to like caring mm -hmm. and caring, maybe there's an equivalent. I've got the image of Care Bears right now. You remember <laughs> Care Bears? Like, there are only so many Care Bears or My Little Ponies in, yeah. in your heart. That Where do you allocate them? And if you spread them around like watching, if you, if you spread them around voyeurism of horrific, events that are happening in human history, which have always happened in human history. Sure. Just a reminder, there are, there's less poverty, less, less starvation, actually less violence and fewer wars currently. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean there won't be in the future than there's ever been in history. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't mean we should rest on our laurels, but it does mean that, I'm not sure the voyeurism and having our eyes open to this issue helps. What probably does help is picking your two or three things and truly investing. I think it's important to invest your, your um, your time as well as your dollars into whatever those things are. And then I also encourage people not to fucking tweet about them mm. or Instagram about them because mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's genuine giving if you are also putting it on a billboard to describe that's a transaction. That's It's fine, but it's not, it's sure. not real philanthropy. So, yeah, I, I think this is a real thing. So what are the issues? And it feels horrible, but what are the issues that you say, actually, I'm not going to care about these. And maybe the matrix, if you was listening, maybe there's a... There's a priority matrix you can do about this that's sort of related to your heads, hearts, hands thing, mm, yeah. which is what can I have an effect over? And it might be that you're incredibly wealthy and you care about, um, uh, you care about a negotiated peace in the Middle East, mm -hmm. and you can fund peace missions and do those things, or climate change and you can fund technology. 
conservation. Or it might be you're very influential in the policy and defense sector and you can affect whether weapons are sent to Ukraine or whatever is the thing. Mm -hmm. Or it might just be that you really love animals and you can volunteer at the um, you know, the Society for Protection of Animals. Yeah. So, yeah. but but the cost of us being aware of everything, no, I, I don't I think it's particularly healthy. I suspect yeah. we make ourselves sick. And yeah, <laughs> I, he says I, on a pedestal, well, <laughs> doom scrolling. <laughs> I, I would love our maybe go do for a couple episodes down the road is just to find some language by which to articulate that. The next time somebody says, hey, you should care about this thing, you should care about uh, children in Palestine. I, the wrong thing to say would be that lives on the island if I don't give a shit. But there is probably some language to articulate that, like, hey, of the things that I have the bandwidth to do something about, I certainly care about that. That's horrible. But also what's in my locus of control or what's just, like, higher on my priority list of things that I have to deal with. I'd like some language around that. So that's and a thing I, I'll think about. Look, Alan talks about this in his work. Um, like if your if your amygdala is being hijacked on a mm. every few minutes, then it re you know this is triggering your fight or flight response, which is really critical to, for our survival. Is we are numbing it, mm -hmm. and therefore not just like your ability to leap out of the road if a truck's coming your way, but but also your ability to have an emotional response when you do see that moving photograph um, that affects you. And so you know, I if I was in fundraising for for a humanitarian organization, I would be deeply worried about this desensitization. Yeah. Because no longer do you have that front page photograph of that suffering or that earthquake. Um, and you can see it, like, oh my God, the earthquake happens in Central Asia and everybody's moved on the mm -hmm. day after. Uh, and so, now this, yeah. The Sarah McLaughlin in the arms of the angel soundtrack behind moving images doesn't move us to the same way it did back in the day. That's probably everything a commercial always, that you Everything aren't. always lines up with Sarah McLaughlin. I mean, shouldn't it though? Sarah McLaughlin was the first concert I went to in America. Yeah. <laughs> I went to, I didn't know what it was. That was not on my bingo. No, I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I, I, went to, uh, I went to the Lilith Fair. <laughs> At the Rose, at the no. Rose Bowl in LA, Hollywood Bowl. No, Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl. I, I've been there for like a week, and I I went on a date with this woman, and she was like, "Do you want to go to the Lilith Fair?" I didn't know what it was, so I went, and um, yeah, it was it was me, three other heterosexual guys, and fifty thousand women making out with each other. I was like, "Welcome to California, mate. Here we go." Sarah McLaughlin and the Indigo. I love the Indigo Girls. Big Indigo, go Indigo. You're. Scott Wayne, big indigo girl. <laughs> you heard it first here. Lilith Fair. On ER. They should bring that back. No, they shouldn't. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> Perry's like holding his head in his hands right now. Let's go yell at clouds. Yeah. But we're not yelling at clouds. I've just, I've retitled this section retail because for some reason we ended up with a bunch of stuff in the retail sector on our list today. So instead of yelling at clouds, we're just talking retail updates. We are talking right. retail. No, no, no. It's, it's kind of yelling at clouds, especially on this first one. Have you been to Bucky's? No, I don't. I don't know what that is. Bucky's is, so what I wrote here is Bucky's. Why? Seriously, why? I don't understand it. So we were in, uh, we were in Florence, South Carolina last week, and there is a Bucky's right near the venue. What is it? It's uh, like super gas station. It's, 
as I heard it described, it is a target with a gas station. It doesn't make sense. It started in Texas, which will help contextualize this ridiculous yeah. thing. It's like um, it started in Texas. It's this massive like retail shopping experience. They've got everything from beef jerky and like brisket to boiled peanuts, and uh, you can get bathing suits and uh, gun bags and hunting gear. It's wild. But everything has the Bucky's logo on it, which is, it's a beaver. <laughs> so just everything has this like red and yellow beaver just tagged on it. And I think it is, and then there's like the gas station, but they don't allow, allow uh, 18 wheelers. So there's this massive like gas station kind of truck stop that doesn't allow trucks. And it has a cult following. There are like 12 or 15 in Texas, uh, and then they're slowly expanding across the rest of the U.S. So this is this gas station revolution that's happened in yeah. America. So uh, it's weird because I posted on a list. Wawa, the northeast sort of, I think it started in New Jersey or Philadelphia. Or Philly, something like that. Um, is now doing $18.5 billion in sales yeah. and, and now expanding nationally. Obviously, you have these lunatics from Bucky's and then Sheets. I find myself where my eldest started driving saying, hey, get your gas at Sheets or Wawa. Mm. And she was like, why? And I said, because you're just less likely to be murdered in the bathrooms than you are at a typical US gas station. Mm -hmm. Which, But I don't think Americans understand this mm -hmm. is that petrol stations overseas aren't dangerous places. <laughs> but in the US, really? they just always were. Like you're always- they I'm were incredulous. Just what do you mean skanky, dangerous? Like, dangerous places to be. Yeah. So Bucky's is apparently like won awards. It's like the cleanest uh, Yeah, yeah, bathroom. but the business model of, of all these, all three of these is the bathrooms are clean and you won't be murdered. It's sort of the underlying, the underlying promise. Yeah. And then you build from that. The food's pretty good, but yeah. Wild. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know so, when, <laughs> you know when was, this is my sick brain, when the, there was the DC sniper, mm -hmm. I, I was living in Washington when the sniper mm -hmm. was there and they, they, they were killing people at gas stations and so they're putting like the the plastic sheeting around the side so you couldn't get a sniper shot it was the most bizarre period so you go behind this plastic sheeting and fill gas but i was like this is more dangerous because nobody sees the murder that normally happens at the gas station regardless of anyway it's it I, I got nothing. Okay, staying with retail, Dollar General. So for those who are not in the United States, the uh, Dollar General is a brand of um, very low cost. It's like a pound stretcher type, low cost discount. They sell brands, but typically nearing end of label. They're huge. And there's another one. There's Dollar General, Family Dollar, and something else. So two of the brands are owned by one company. So there's like two companies in this market. Tend to be... Overindexed in rural areas and also overindexed in lower economic income bracket areas of cities. Traditionally sold very unhealthy food are now selling vegetables, fresh vegetables in hundreds and hundreds of their stores. This might be one of the biggest health impact changes in the country beyond yeah. COVID vaccinations. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, for, for food deserts where Dollar Generals typically exist, now being able to get decently healthy food. I, I won't go as far as to say we're going to have the high-end organic, you know, uh, produce in Dollar General, but it would be a start for places that are typically really hard to find fresh food. And, and the economics of buying the cheap, uh, shelf-stable, long-lasting food for a family in poverty, um, that starts to make sense. So, like, accessibility is one. I think price will be a second. And Dollar General has 
the economies of scale to do both. So I, the, the health implications are huge. I'm really excited for this. It always blew my mind, you know, when you're in um, sort of industrial food country mm-hmm. where where the agriculture is is just of a mass scale, yeah. and you'll be in a small town, essentially surrounded by agriculture, but you can't buy fresh food. Yeah, because the far there aren't farmers; they're big industrial conglomerates. So it's not like there's the farmers stand. This isn't like rural Virginia or like the the mega mega industrial agricultural locations. So you're surrounded by fresh food yeah. and can't but buy. But you any. can't get any. It's, yeah, it's wild, wild. All right, Dollar um, General to the rescue. Who thought? Yeah, I, I would not have been on my bingo card. All right, next week, Amazon. Uh, wow, we really are doing retail this we, week. I told you, um, Amazon is selling cars. As of this year, Amazon's so in partnership with uh, is it Hyundai? Is that is that how you'd say it? You say Perry's you say, nodding. We say Hyundai Perry the, here. Perry the car guy, which is probably how we say it in South Korea. In in Britain, we say Hyundai. 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 Um, yeah. So they. I think they actually had a campaign trying to tell people how to pronounce it. Clearly, they probably it didn't did work. that in the UK. <laughs> Just in the north of England. Well, you all just make shit up anyway. So um, when you're yeah. sealing this vehicle, p- please pronounce it correctly. <laughs> The Hyundai Catalytic Converter. Um, so announced at the uh, LA Auto Show that they're selling on-platform, uh, specifically Hyundai's, to start. But the vehicles, you can like choose model, trim, color, all of that stuff. Um, you can get it delivered or pick up at a local dealership. And they will come um, equipped with Alexa. And so it's a kind of two-way partnership here. So this makes perfect sense. It does. You know the history of Hyundai breaking into this market? No, I don't. So they did the 100,000-mile powertrain warranty. They were the first people to do it. So the brand was dismissed as like not being premium. And all of their consumer research said people just didn't trust the brand. And so they essentially said, well, how do we, how do we buy our way out of this? Is this mm. ad spend? Or do we just guarantee it? We just put our money behind it. And they exploded. Their market share during that period exploded. What that I think that led to was then the car maxes of this world saying, well, just buy your car online. We'll deliver it to you. And you try it out knowing that the, the return rate was very low. But also you, you start to trust that now because the cars are becoming so, so reliable. If manufacturers can put a 100,000-mile warranty on it, then you know the car's solid, the production. But then you get into, well, why would I go to a dealership? Because I'm not buying a specific car. I just yeah. So it's sort of a natural evolution. But but those online retailers might be doing this to themselves because as soon as you start doing that, Amazon's like, oh, thanks for proving the model. We'll just come in here and do this. And embed a listening device on the way so we can <laughs> sell you shit you don't want as you drive. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting evolution. It is. It is. Uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm pleased to see Carvana still struggling. They're the people who put the cars in the, the tower. towers here. Yeah, because I always drove by that and my kids go, that's great. And I'm like, that doesn't make any economic sense whatsoever. I, wanna, I, I want the most creative ideas for what one does with that tower when Carvana is <gasps> defunct. Yeah. Like that would be, like, just imagine a penthouse loft in like the tower. I mean, everybody would be able to see you. You'd probably want to put curtains up, but I think it'd be cool. That's what I would do with it. You know, so there's a, you know the... <laughs> and I parked my car in it. You, you know the um, the gay um, bar down the street from Thirsties? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think a Thirsties tower would be brilliant. <laughs> we should have it. The, it, the, old, just the, the, most the old guys that hang out there, uh-huh. dance floor at the top, they're the best. The, the Thirsties tower. <laughs> I think that'd be that a, was like that'd my be a banger. 
I'm in. That was my cartoon laugh. Take my money. <laughs> it's like it's it, that's brilliant. All right, Steve's towel. You win. But Penthouse is my second. Um, let's land on our retail segment on uh, Uncle Nearest. Oh yeah, yeah. Nearly unicorn nearest. So uh, the unicorn moniker is given to companies that have uh, a billion dollar valuation um, per investors in the market. And Uncle Nearest whiskey is at nine hundred million. Um, so good. They're so close. So, so tell the story of Uncle Nearest. Yeah, um, black-owned whiskey brand. Um, Fawn Weaver bought Uncle Nearest uh, a couple years back now, or started Uncle Nearest. But the, the original Uncle well, Nearest. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan Nearest Green was formerly enslaved and taught Jack Daniels uh, how to make whiskey. So Jack Daniels, the well-known brand, was actually predicated on the knowledge of an enslaved um, African and uh, ended up... Uh, Fawn Weaver, this uh, black woman, started the company. The head distiller, and I need to fact check that this is still the case, but when they started, the head distiller was the great, great, great granddaughter of Nathan Nearest Green, um, which was really cool. So a black woman leading the distilling process and then a black woman leading the company. Um, And so, yeah, they have crushed it. They're in like over 30,000 stores, bars, hotels, et cetera. and they are cruising through the investor market, and it's, it's incredible to watch. So do you know the story I haven't shared with you about Uncle Nearest? No. <clears throat> so you may recall Christmas before last. That was your Christmas gift from me. Yeah. It was a bottle, a bottle of premium Uncle Nearest. I asked you where you got it. You, de- you declined to answer. So, so I, I went to D.C. to get it because you can't, you can't get it in Virginia. Well, mm. that's a twist to the story. So, so I was telling the girls, hey, I've got to go to D.C. for the day. And they're like, who are you going to meet? And I'm like, actually, I'm going to buy this bottle of whiskey for your Uncle Ace. Let me tell you the story of it. Like, I told him all that story you just shared. Get on the train. It's freezing cold, like one of those icy, icy cold days. Get up to D.C., hop on a metro to go to this, uh, my favorite sort of liquor store up there to get a bottle of Uncle Nearest whiskey. And as I'm checking out, the clerk says, do you live here? And I said, no, I live in Virginia. And she said, oh, yeah, um, you know, the taxes on liquor are quite high in D.C. You should just buy it at the ABC in Virginia. We started selling it last month. <laughs> That's why you declined to tell me where you got it. You felt so stupid. I, yeah, I could have bought it three blocks from here. But no, I went to D.C. for your special bottle of Uncle oh, Nearest. Oh, thank you, Scott. It is a very special bottle. And uh, yeah, I had... I had a couple um, black women friends over, and we were drinking whiskey in the pool house. And like to be able to tell that story with the backdrop and kind of the the success, uh, like uh, just sharing a little bit, and and then they saw it and got bottles, and now they're drinking and sharing, and uh, it's it's an awesome story. Um, so yeah, Uncle Nearest reaching unicorn status, which is unheard of. I love it. Okay, so I have a quick question from the audience, which was um, based upon me being in Los Angeles last week, which is, why do you like LA? And I just want to share this observation, is that I think there's a chance that LA may become the city of the future again. So you know, like in the 1940s, that whole like Black Dahlia period, LA, Hollywood was like the city of the future. But then, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, it's smog and traffic mm-hmm. and all of those things. But as you go around, because the whole city is built for cars, mm. and they're, they're trying to build public transport, but actually the history of it is LA had an amazing trolley system, mm. and GM bribed the city to rip it out as so it would become a car city. Anyway, that's a different story. So, But 
as driverless vehicles come, Angelinos have always lived in their cars. They've always done their makeup on the freeway. They've always taken cars on the freeway. They've had laptops in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't. As soon as driverless vehicles happen, this is the city of the future again because you just run your business and life out of the car and the car drives itself and you're doing deals, you're doing virtual auditions, you're doing those things. So my thought about LA is as broken as it is, one of the things I love about it is that they are, they are what I call real phony. They don't pretend to be real and be yeah. phony. They are just full on phony. <laughs> Anyway, I um I spent part of the day at Chief, um the executive women's now yeah. the Chief Clubhouse. How was that? It was gorgeous. Was it really? But incredibly well done. Yeah. Like you know, a lot of these co-working spaces are just trying too hard. None of that. It was just just is beautiful and, and beautiful and chill and very productive. And um, it was it was great to be a minority, and I I appreciated being welcomed to to the space by a really good friend of mine. Okay, so where are we this week? Uh, we're in New York uh, tomorrow. Yeah, with our music friends. Yeah, we are. Can I, just, can I just say <laughs> one of my favorite things about being in the headquarters of a major mu- music industry company is that pretty much everywhere we go, there are people who are cooler than me, and I, I, look, like, I look like the janitor. Right? But I just love that when we're in this building, I know where you're everybody's, going. everybody's so cool. You look like the bloke from accounting. It just brings me so much joy. I knew you this were might going be the there. only reason that That's, I love working with this client. Is it? Yeah. Is it Scott? Yeah, uh, you just so yeah. have your league. Anyway, New York for a few days this week, and then back in Richmond. So if we owe you money, drop us a note, and we'll try to pay you back. There we go. All right, uh, leaving the episode. I got nothing. This was fun. See you next week. <laughs>